Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey, everybody. It's Bob again. I've got Connected Leadership, How to Build a More Agile, Customer-Driven Business. And I've got Simon Hayward with me today, way over in England. Simon, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Thanks for having me. So um, let's talk a little bit about how to connect more agile, customer-driven business. Now, the word agile... That's usually synonymous with a company that's relatively small and enterprise level companies really struggle with the concept of agile. Do you think that uh, larger companies because of new technology and the ability for everybody to communicate 24 hours a day enables them to be a little bit more agile than they were 20 years ago, let's say? Certainly, uh, I think the technology has advanced enormously, and then, and really, it's setting a requirement for organisations, for, you know, for large organisations, to be able to respond. Uh, interestingly, we did we've done some research in the UK with the top 250 CEOs alongside Ipsos Mori, the research company, uh, into their major challenges. And the the one that's come out over the last two years, number one, is the agility, uh, the need for greater agility, and the ability to innovate in a digital world. So, uh, yes, the requirement is there. It, it, it doesn't make it any, any easier. Um, but a lot of my doctoral research focused on tra- this transition in large organizations. As you say, in smaller organizations, it may be easier to be more agile and flexible. The challenge is when you come to a large organization. Mm. Well, I, I remember being in a relatively large organization, and that was the first time that I could stay up 24 hours a day answering emails. <laughs> that's right <laughs> especially in a global corporation oh god it just never ended it just never never ended it's one of the biggest pressures i think on uh, on especially on organi- you know, leaders in you know in uh, international organizations because yeah the calls start very early in the morning and go on through to midnight and uh, it, 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 there is a there, i think there is a well-being issue here that uh, the organizations are, are, are taking more and more seriously uh, to try to manage this the in- intervention really of communications into every hour that we will stay awake yeah i call it death by cc'ing yeah <laughs> yes no i like that let's talk a little bit about uh but you know before we dig into the book too much your doctoral thesis what was it and how did you defend it it was uh research into the the, the characteristics that supported transition in large organizations to being more distributed and more agile. And uh, I did uh, long, uh, longitudinal research in some large organizations. So over a period of two years, tracking their, their progress. And I did research at different levels. So I, I talked to the C-suite members about what their intentions were, what they were trying to orchestrate. And I spoke to middle managers at different levels in the organization to understand better what what was actually happening and what their response to what they were seeing come from the C-suite uh, uh, leaders. And, and then took some input from broader engagement uh, data across the organization. So I, I used this sort of matrix of data to, to understand where there was an intention to shift to, towards being more distributed, more agile in their ways of working. What were the barriers that were cropping up? And what what techniques were uh, were more effective at creating that shift? I'm curious, you know, because because any organization that that tries to go into a trans uh, transitional state, 
there's all this politics and naysayers, and then there's the other side of the spectrum where there's people that say they can't get it to switch over fast enough, and then there's people in the middle being tugged uh, both directions. Um, do you feel that's still a problem with organizations, the, the internal communications, uh, and trying to get everybody pointing in a slightly different direction? Oh, very much so, yes. And uh, um, I think there's yeah, two particular comments on that. I, I, I would agree that there's the, 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 there's the, the larger the organization, the more potential there is for bureaucracy and, and a lack of pace uh, or, 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 or localization to occur, um, and, and what we what, what I saw that was more effective was a persistent and regular engagement uh, through the line uh, across the whole organisation and through the line uh, to move gradually and to build momentum and to get uh, what uh, Collins would call the flywheel effect going. And then the the, the key to it all, uh, from, certainly from my, well not only my research but a lot of other people's research, is the senior leadership commitment. And if the senior leadership uh, group are not really on board and not really committed to that transition, uh, it's likely to fail because organizations typically are not democracies. And uh, you, know, you, you need leaders to be making changes for others to be free to also make those changes in turn. Mm. I, and I, I've, uh, I've experienced that firsthand myself, but I've also seen companies that kind of get what you just said and had all the international group leaders, um, senior managers come to, to New York or Chicago and uh, have the, the top C-suite take a day of their uh, business life and go visit these people and work in workshops with them about the transition that they were going through um, and why they felt it was critically important to the survival of the company from the C-suite level. Now, that's pretty hardcore way of getting the point across to senior management and then telling the senior management, we cannot do this without you. And if, we, if you guys cannot do what we've done and set up a similar style of communication uh, workshop uh, when you leave this one in all your different countries, this will not work. Do you feel that that type of buy-in is part of the transitional um, uh, kudos for, for organizations that are really going to make a difference and really going to be able to move forward compared to companies that just don't look at it on, on investing that much time from, from a high-end level? Yeah, no, Bob, I totally agree. Uh, and I, I'd almost go further. because uh, that, that type of getting people together and that clarity and that the time to immerse everybody in that dialogue about what needs to change, I think is absolutely critical. Um, and then I would, then we, what I've seen work well uh, is, is when there is a disruptive approach to sustaining that. So getting people out of their comfort zone, working in different ways, challenging the status quo. Uh, we took one large... Uh, uh, UK PLC, the top 200, over a six-week period last year, through a, a real shake-up, uh, taking them out of their out of the organisation into um, some very different situations where they were forced to uh, make quicker decisions, where they were forced to work on a basis of collaborative achievement and trust, where they were forced to make mistakes and learn and be quick to adapt. Uh, and that the main, the brilliant thing was it, it showed them that they could. And then they could take that back into the more bureaucratic workplace that they were used to and say, no, well, we know we can. So let's just do more of that. And that was a great experience to unlock uh, some of the um, predetermined assumptions which uh, had kept the organization in, in, in perhaps a, a slower, more, more bureaucratic frame of mind up to that point.
Well, I guess if you're going to be having to be agile and, you know, that for any large organization, that's probably one of the hardest things for them to comprehend because they may feel that they're agile and that they may be molasses slow compared to their competition or a small organization, is how do you, how do you actually perceive if you're agile or not and um, get your head around it? Because if you're going in and you have systems in place and everything's fine and then somebody comes in and say, well, we have to be more agile, we have to be less bureaucratic, you say, well, we're, we're super efficient already, not realizing that by you thinking that you're super, super efficient, you're actually not being efficient or you're not being agile. Yeah. Well, the good thing in the book, there's a there's a little questionnaire that can help start that sense of uh, <laughs> a process of diagnostic or di- di- diagnosis uh, to help organizations be, if they're brutally honest with themselves, as, as to where they are more or less agile, more or less customer centric. Um, and then by developing thinking around those behaviors, the, those attributes, uh, they can start to identify where where are the big blockages? What do they need to change most? Uh, which, which I think is a really help. You know, any form of um, focused diagnosis helps uh, under, understand where the priorities for action are, which then allows um, a plan of action to be put in place and uh, and people to start to make progress towards being more agile. So, you know, let's go back to and, and discover. You know, why do you think that this book needs to be published now? Why do the people have to be thinking uh, about being more connected and and being more agile and customer driven? Well, we live in a, a network society. We live in a, in a, in a world driven by technology. You know, the, um, the technology has driven a, a degree of social change over the last 20, 30 years that is unparalleled. Uh, it's, it's exponential. You know, the Internet of Things is just about to explode. Uh, should, the estimates go from 2 billion uh, sensors and devices now to over 50 billion by 2020. Uh, and, you know, the cloud is changing the way we operate. Customers are becoming more sophisticated. Uh, and more challenging and more and, and, and trust is at a, the lowest level, according to GlobeScan uh, in, in large companies, it's the lowest level since records began. And, and so there's these different factors. And, and then you've got the multi-generational workforce with different expectations of, of, of a more authentic approach, a more values-based approach, a more purpose-driven approach. And all of these are putting huge pressure on, on organizations to respond in a quite a more radical way uh, to what their customers and what society as a whole are, are expecting. And there's a much greater sense of accountability, I think, for these things than perhaps five, ten years ago. And we live in a world where you know, a complaint can go viral and be uh, out to a million customers within seconds. Um, so you know, organizations are, are genuinely struggling to cope and to adopt uh, new ways of working, um, but very, very focused on, very, you know, quick to recognize that that's absolutely essential. And so shaking up the organization and creating more connections that allow the organization to be more organic and more responsive is both in the organization's best interests and also of their, of their customers. Yeah, it's interesting you were saying that um, the ability for, for negative or even positive uh, messages on social media to go viral or even semi-viral um, within, within a, a specific group of people can be devastating for an organization. And I've had lots of conversations about this, and one of the strategies is to actually have a top-down strategy where it's like, hey, you know, we're going to give you the authority to make very important decisions, even though you're a, a like a junior manager, because you're in the social media uh, realm. But do you think companies are going far enough? Are they guiding all their staff? Do they have a holistic 
uh, approach to their social media rules and regulations. And, and I hate to use the word rules and regulations, almost like as soon as you put rules and regulations on social media, it kind of kills it. But really, the terror that organizations go through and the gnashing of teeth that the uh, legal department go through when anything happens on social media is basically something that can can uh, cripple an organization as far as what they're communicating. And I'm, I'm not talking about some guy down in shipping messing up because he's making jokes about somebody doing something weird. I mean, it goes all the way up to the CEO making an inappropriate tweets when he's on the golf course. You've got to be so conscious of what you're saying and what you're doing, even when you're not in the office. So I wanted to ask you, is this something that's stopping organizations for being more agile and open with the social media communication platforms? Uh, well, I, th I think organizations are on catch-up. You know, most organizations are on catch-up um, and, 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 and trying to uh, develop a uh, a way to manage what what is becoming increasingly transparent and multi-level uh, communications, but I, I think there's a more fundamental issue, uh, which is which is which goes to one of the factors in the book, which is about devolved decision making. In that, if you try to centralise and control that, um, you sort of lo you've lost it. You've missed the point because everything that's happening in the context around the organization, all the customers and the partners and, and other people viewing all of this is happening in, re in real time, you know, through social media or through whatever mechanism. And for the organization to centralize that just creates a massive bottleneck. So so the, the, the better response, uh, and I think an organic response that is then sustainable is to, um, as you allude to, is to educate and support and enable people to be um, uh, responsible in their own way, in their own use of social media as it pertains to the organization or, or personally. Uh, and that's part of the whole distribution of decision making it to the, the, as close to the customer as possible. That is about creating a, a planful but or, an organized approach that is actually giving much greater discretion to people across the organization to operate within the freedom of and knowing what our purpose is, what the direction is strategically, where we're we going, what are our values, what's important around here, how, how do we articulate that, what's the organizational narrative that that is in, is relevant here, and then being able trusting people, but also coaching people and supporting people and giving them the right information for them to be able to then exercise their own discretion, uh, which they're doing anyway when they're on Facebook or they're in uh, to, on Twitter or any other. Uh, other social media platform. Yeah, it, it is a bit of a conundrum because uh, it, it's one of those things, the more you try and control it, the less control you have, and the more freedom you give it, the less sleep you have. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, really, at the, at the end of the day, it's almost like you have to role play with people in workshops and say, okay, this is Jane making a mistake with Twitter. And then this is Jane trying to fix the mistake and it becoming a bigger mistake. Oh, and this is Jane having a nervous breakdown by it. Um, it's almost like you have to say, even if the thing blows up in your face and it goes terribly wrong, you still have to understand that it's not the end of the world. And don't let it destroy your day because if that's all you're worried about and all you're focused on, then you're not going to be able to do your job because you've got a 24-7 uh, basic manager that's, the basically the population around you whoever's communicating to you on your uh, social media device and that's a terrifying thing and this goes to the heart of connected leadership which is to create an intelligent organization because people within it able to act in a, in, a, in, a, in a sensible way in the best interests of their customers and, the, and their organization 
in a way that's genuine, in a way that's authentic, uh, that's not controlled. Uh, the more you, as you say, the more you try to control something like this, the more awkward it becomes and the less genuine and the more cu customers are going to see through it. So if they know that there's an authentic response, but it's a consistent response, uh, well, that's that's really powerful. If they see people sort of being uncomfortable um, and and, and be, being controlled, that's going to be less effective. Everybody at Facebook knows it's about connecting the planet. So what does that mean? That's something to be proud of. That's a purpose that they can that, that, that plays out in the way they talk all the time. Get the fundamentals right in terms of purpose, clarity, direction, you know, the culture, then people will will respond to that in a genuine way and, and be more and be as responsible as you could ever want them to be. The more you try to control it, the the, the less effective it will be. I mean, you know, there's many books out there that talk on that subject too, is having an authentic organization and the, the benefits from it and not having a top-down decision-making process where everybody is actually conscious of what they're doing and responsible for what they're doing. And okay, in a perfect world, that'd be great. But, you know, there's all different types of people and there's uh, people in an organization that shouldn't be in the organization, but they're sneaky enough to get away with being in there. You just kind of have to say, Look, there's no such thing as a perfect organization. It probably goes to the 80-20 rule. 20% of people are going to mess up in your organization, regardless of how much training you're going to do. But you still got this bulk of 80% of the organization that can do amazing, marvelous things if they're connected, if they're authentic, if they understand the fundamentals of what you're getting across in this book and move your organization forward in a relatively rapid way and if your competition or if your sector isn't up to the same speed, it gives them a tremendous market advantage. Absolutely. And I, I think there's, if you can create the momentum around why are we here, what, what are we doing that's important, what are, we, what are we doing here that we should be proud of, what are the behaviors that we value, uh, how, does that, how does that serve uh, the organization, our customers, and, and, the, and the wider society that we operate in. The more you create that, that's a positive cycle, a sort of a, a building of momentum that it reinforces itself. And more and more people get on board with that, and, and, and the more that becomes the norm, and the less comfortable it becomes for people who don't agree with that. And they're and frankly, at some point, if you don't believe in that in that purpose of that organization, you're probably in the wrong organization. Uh, and there'll be other organizations where you're more comfortable. Uh, and we've seen that play out in, in, in client systems where, client organizations where there's, the stronger the sense of purpose, the more some people stand out as being inappropriate. But the majority of people want to get on board with that because we, yeah, at the end of the day, we, we all want to wake up in the morning and feel good about what we're doing and feel like it's contributing something to, to the world as well as uh, putting money in our wallet. So I, I think that's a positive dynamic you can create with, and the stronger the sense of purpose, the more that's a pull for, for the majority of people. And, and, and frankly, and some people may select themselves out of that because that's not what gets them up in the morning and that's okay because they'll be somewhere else where they can be more comfortable. So you know, I, I, I think the more focused on purpose the leaders are, uh, the more that becomes um, a source of pride and and people become quite intolerant of people whose behavior doesn't fit with the way they believe they should operate and their, 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 their shared values and, their, and the principles by which they, um, they sort of make judgments. And so I, we see a lot of self-selection and also peer pressure to, 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 to either get on board or, or go and work somewhere else. I know it sounds a little bit um, strong, but I've seen CEOs have long conversations with executives who demonstrate a completely inconsistent set of behaviors, values, and out of sync with the purpose of the organization. And ultimately, for those executives to leave and the whole organization breathe a sigh of relief. And so that's 
demonstrated how important this is and also you've been had had the courage to see it through well you know it's you know as i was going through the book um i started to realize more and more that really all the pressure right now for a company to evolve is on the leadership and i know it's well of course it is but no in a way more fundamental way it's not like they're um, basically dictating on high. They have to roll up their sleeves. They have to go into their departments. They have to sit down with individuals and talk them through the process and say, look, at this is the direction we're going. We know you can do it. We believe in you. Go ahead and do it. And if you're having a trouble, here's my number. Call me because I'm dedicating the next six months to making this transition happen. And we're, we're, this, is all we're do, this is all we're doing in C-Suite. It's not like we're running around doing a bunch of other stuff. This is our focus. And I think a lot of times with organizations, you've got to kind of have that attitude where it's, it's completely different than what you expect in an organization. It stops being a top-down, C-suite-driven organization, and it becomes, oh, here's Frank, the CEO. You cease to look at him as Frank, the CEO. You say, oh, here's Frank, the guy that's helping me get through this transition. That's incredibly powerful, but it's also very, very gutsy for an organization to try and pull off. Absolutely. We've got a, we've got a bookshop, book retailer in the UK called Waterstones, and the CEO went on television last week and described how when the Kindle came out, they, they really sort of massive impact on their business. Um, but what they decided to do was to go on exactly the type of journey you just described and to, and to consciously put the decision making, so many decision making rights in the hands of the store managers and their teams to decide what's going to sell locally, what our local community is going to respond well to, how do we create a community venue or just destination for people to fall back in love with the book. And that's to help turn the organization around dramatically as they've responded to the digital challenge, but but actually created a different type of experience and, and it structured their decision making and, and the systems that sit behind that, you know, the, the supply chain and and so on, to serve the needs of local stores. And it's exactly the same model that Inditex have used at, in the Zara chain in 88 different countries. They have the same, and that's a very large scale organization with over 120,000 people, but they have the same basic you know, strong central core of we're going to do certain things certain way and then distributed decision making out to all the stores, the store teams to decide what to sell locally. And it's a wonderful balance when you can get it right. And that's what leads to real agility. Well, and you know, and we, when you were talking there, I realized what those stores had done is, is they'd come in, they'd been more efficient, they disrupted the bookstore paradigm that's been around for well in, in in Europe for hundreds and hundreds of years, where you would go to a small bookseller and you would chat with him, and he was part of the community, and uh, he had a cat, and you hung out with him, and and yeah. you know it was it was it was a place to go, and then that all disappeared, and they had these very swanky stores that were in in nicer locations, and basically. Uh, were able to outperform because of their buying power and put all those businesses out of uh, out of business. Uh, they just that there was this void of need that nobody realizes. Like, well, why aren't people coming to the stores? Why do we have this aggressive approach and people are just coming to the stores for a deal? And there's no community and and there's uh, there's nothing that's connecting the store with uh, growth in the community and and all those type of things. And now. It seems that this organization said, okay, well, we disrupted. Now we're on top. Now we have to undo what we've done and remake 
our stores so they're like the corner bookstore so people can actually go and feel comfortable there and do meetings there and all those type of things. And it's a, it's a, you, the way you describe it, it just uh, exemplifies the sometimes the, the external pressure for the disruption from outside is sometimes the only trigger that is actually strong enough to cause that massive reevaluation of the whole business model, the whole culture, the whole way in which the business is able to uh, generate sustainable profits. And, uh, and at that point, you know, that trigger point, uh, that's when the senior, senior leadership in particular faces into the abyss and says we have to change otherwise we're going to we're going to run out of runway and it's it, it, i don't think it needs to be so stark but but sometimes it does need that the crisis that that uh, the, those external changes are causing yeah well you know it, it, it's you look at what google's done here in north america where they say well you know we should have better fiber optic avail availability for people and we don't have enough bandwidth and everybody's saying nah, it's fine it's fine it's okay we're going to put in Google Fiber and, and picking out a town and just basically revolutionizing a town and having T1 up and down, which is unheard of for any provider to, to actually consider offering the public because they, the public would never need that. They would never want that. And then Google proved them wrong, and it, it revolutionized those towns where all sorts of industry is, is uh, being developed because people have the bandwidth to do stuff. So now here way up in Vancouver we've got large condominiums that have been put in and one of the selling features is oh we have T1 up and down just like Google uh, Google Fiber and that's a selling feature so yeah I, I definitely agree that it's so easy to be in an organization or be running an organization especially one that's been around for a long time and be just too comfortable with your position and saying and eh, nothing's ever gonna change I'm just gonna sit it out this is really nice that these days, things change so fast, you know, suddenly you're wondering why your, your company's being downsized or it's being shut down. Yeah. And most of those changes are driven by technology, interestingly, uh, you know, whether it's um, fintech in the financial services marketplace or, or online, online retailing in, in, in retail. You know, the, the technology is driving uh, Uber in taxes. There are so many good examples of, of where technology is being so disruptive and it, and it you know, I saw a I saw a webinar last week. Uh, said, you know, who, "Who's next for digital, digital disruption? Is it your industry?" And it, it's just a matter of time before these, before pretty much every in industry is disrupted to a point of um, of reinvention. And so, the organisations that can adapt to that early and get into a more flexible, a more a more organic, a more more networked way of working, uh, with much more collaboration across functions and much more collaboration in the interests of the customer. Uh, and being able to reinvent themselves to be to be to learn and to experiment and take risks, uh, that the more likely those organisations are are to be able to adapt in those times of um, seismic change. Now you know let's let's look at your book and what the book's trying to to help people with with a particular strategy and and subject matter. Um, when you were doing research and and seeing what was going on with different clients, is that when you discovered that? Oh, you know what? This is disruption is is normal, um, and basically that connectivity is becoming more and more critical for an organization. And how can I help that transition be less painful for organizations? Was that what kind of stimulated your idea to bring this book into reality, or, or was it something else? Well, interestingly, uh, I, th I think I, I moved it, moved into that 
place. Uh, but I started with a with a fascination around distribution of uh, power, distribution of um, leadership, decision making uh, rights, um, and some of the studies that have been done in the U.S. in particular in in education and health uh, were demonstrating that. Uh, greater distribution led to better outcomes, whether it's for students or patients. And some of that research was then being used in the commercial world. Um, and I, I, But what hadn't been tackled was how does that translate into the large enterprise uh, arena? And so that's, that's where I wanted to probe. Um, but the, the, uh, the cases that I started to research um, were, were, were looking at greater distribution because of the uh, the changes that are going on in their environment, you know, digitization and the changes in customer expectation. And so the, so the two came together and, and linked up in the in the research and activity. So I wanted to ask you, what was your aha moment where when you were, you know, taking this stuff and putting it down in the book, what crystallized for you and you went, wow, okay, now I really get that. It was the, the sense that a change in an organization can be orchestrated quite quickly if it's done in a way that is both A, is driven from the top down, but B, is people within the organization respond to it and see the value of and the attractiveness of it because of its emphasis on the purpose. So if it's just top down because it's it suits the CEO or the C-suite members, then that's not going to be very effective. And if it's just about purpose from within, again, that's going to be difficult to orchestrate. But when you get those two combining, that sense of we need to change and it's, and, and we need to be we need to re-engage with our fundamental purpose in the life in, in, in the world. Why do we why do we exist? What's about? What's our higher order contribution? Uh, and and therefore, what's our strategy? Then then that's that 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 really gets people excited. And because we all want to, as I said before, we all want to get out of bed in the morning and feel that we're doing something worthwhile. And something we can be proud of, and so if you get that connection right, uh, that's then that, then you uh, I saw it transition to a, a, a more distributed approach become much more rapid uh, as as people got excited about it. Hmm. You're trying to get the uh, the tsunami effect to happen, uh, or the the domino effect to happen. You know, people start seeing in the upper part of the organization and and a, and a department that's parallel to them, and maybe somebody in the in the communications and uh, delivery systems is evolving, and they want to be part of the the evolution too. Absolutely, and and you know, if you're in if you're in, if you're in part of the supply chain, and the other another another department is not really playing ball, and that's slowing everything down. You can either have a, an argument with them, but, but if you've got a higher purpose and there's a there's a bigger reason that we're all doing this, then that's quite that's a, that's a very different conversation because that's an integrative conversation. It's about look, we we both have a contribution to play to uh, serve the needs of our customers better, or to you know, to um, yeah, we work with one high tech company where their their mission is around um, protecting the world. Well, that's that's much more important than our departmental. Debate. You know, let's just move on from that and sort out the problem and move and get get to accelerate the supply chain. So it gives a, it gives a much more purposeful and less confrontational um, frame for any conversations about how do we improve, how do we move, how do we work better together. Yeah, well, I, you know, you've just defined uh, making a, an organization more agile and, and streamlined. Right there is is people getting over themselves and getting over the change that's happening. It's like, look at this change is happening. So get over it. Don't be grumpy don't uh making it a hard time get involved in the conversation and i think you know going back to earlier in the conversation we were saying 
if you can't do that and you're really going to put your foot down and don't believe in the change, then you got to leave the organization because the, organi the organization's changing. You're just going to be miserable and you're going to make the organization a weaker place. So why the heck are you even working? Absolutely. It's like being part of a sports club where I don't really enjoy the sport. You know, I, I'd probably best to go and play another sport <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, you know, not everybody likes tennis. Uh, but if you're going to be part of a tennis club, then love tennis and play it. You know, so it's the same sort of thing, really. So it's, it can sound harsh, but actually, it's common sense. If you if this if this isn't if this purpose doesn't suit you, you're not that interested in it. Well, that's okay. There's lots of other options. But the people in, in this tennis club are we're all passionate about tennis, so we're going to play tennis really well. What about you know people being terrified of leaving their position because they think they're not going to have another job? You know, they're kind of stuck in there. They, they almost feel like, I'm a slave. I'll never get out of this. I'm tied down to a mortgage or I've got all these debts that I have to take uh, care of and I, I can't leave. Um, if I quit, will I get another job? All those things. Doesn't that end up peppering an organization with disgruntled um, people that kind of stymie the ability for the company to move forward? Well, I, I think part of, part of the connected leadership framework is about authenticity and about being true to your values. And so treating people fairly is absolutely key to all of this. And so when, when organizations go through restructuring, it, it's, it's, it, what's most important about it is, it's, is how it's done, whether it's seen to be done in a fair and respectful way. Um, so that, you know, that's the first thing to say. And secondly, I think if, 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 the, if the organization becomes really crystal clear about where it's going, why it's important, and how it, how it wants to operate, then it gives people the opportunity to, to self-select over a period of time, which gives people time to find uh, new opportunities. Um, and so if it's, not, if it's not driven by crisis, then it's because crisis will often precipitate very dramatic actions, which may cause a lot of people to be displaced against their against their will. Um, but if you do it, if you get if you get onto the onto this um, route early, then you give people more time to decide to commit or decide to move, and they can do it. It's under their discretion. It's and it's it's therefore their choice, uh, and that's a much more empowering place to be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's much easier to go into as a manager into an organ into a department saying, "Okay, everybody's fired," um, or you guys can change. What do you want to do? Because if you don't want to change, that's fine. We'll help you transition to into another organization. We'll try and help you move to another organization. We're going to be trying to be as human as possible about this. But if you really feel that you cannot evolve and change the way the company is going to be going, then you can't be in this organization. How many organizations talk like that? Yeah, well, uh, unless it's precipitated by, by crisis, very few are that straight talking. And uh, you know, I think the key thing is to be very, uh, to try to be early and to try to get ahead of that curve rather than being hit by it late um, so that you have more control as an organization and, and also people within the organization have more control for themselves, which gives them a better position of, um, of uh, being able to exercise their own control, their own discretion, uh, and take their own the career in in, a, in an appropriate path, but I'm a big believer that if you know a lot of people, uh, what I've seen over the years and, and what what, are the res what research suggests is that as human beings, especially with uh, younger generations coming into the workplace, actually people have a higher expectation that the that work should be meaningful, that work should have a purpose, that we should behave well and we should be fair and and that uh, you know we should treat each other with respect. And and given all of that, people people typically want to sign up for a purpose they want to have to be working in a place where there's 
you know, there's, there's something bigger that they're contributing to. Um, and so in our experience, people respond incredibly well to it and want to be part of that and get on board. Uh, and so it's a very small minority that really are, are very deeply opposed to it. Uh, we saw one client organi organization change its whole retail-based uh, incentive scheme across all their stores uh, to be team-based rather than based on individual sales. And the team-based scheme was both around customer satisfaction as well as sales results. Uh, very, a very bold move to take a very different position in the marketplace. And yes, some of their uh, top stars did leave, but they'd anticipated that would be the case because those people didn't want to work in a team. They were very happy working solo, uh, but that wasn't the customer experience they were trying to orchestrate. And actually, over a period of a year, their their sales results Im improved, even though they took one or two hits along the way uh, from individuals leaving. So you know, the whole the whole organisation was much more effective, even though there were one or two that self-selected out because it, it you know, that style of working just wasn't for them. Uh, and so it can be. It can be very successful uh, to make that shift, even though you got you may have uh, some people who decide not to take part. What's one thing that um, our listening audience can can do today to make their organizations more connected and uh, more agile and and really be starting on the path that this book is going to be teaching them? Well, the first two factors are pretty much the foundation, really. Uh, so having clarity around what I would call the organizational narrative. You know, what, what is our story? Uh, what are we here for? Why do we exist? What are we trying to achieve? What are, our, what are our, the principles we will stand uh, by? Um, and and the, uh, first of all, to be really clear about the narrative and put it across, communicate it in a way, make it accessible to people in a way that is just so straightforward and relevant. Uh, is I see so much clutter in, in, in organizations where they've got so many different statements, sort of whole frameworks that compete with each other. And we always ask people to simplify it down to a, the core that everybody can get and really get excited about. So I think, I'd say that's the first priority is to be really crystal clear about what's the core about, of the organization that, that is fundamentally important. And then to start talking about it and telling stories about it and celebrating uh, the stories of where people have put it into practice and encouraging everybody to behave, changing incentive schemes to support that way, those ways of working. Because then, then you start to send the signals that you're serious. So I'd say that was a, a really good starting point. Hmm. You know, you mentioned stories there and you have some wonderful anecdotes in the book and case studies. Uh, do you have a favorite case study or story from the book? I love them all, actually. Um, but the, the the one that's probably uh, perhaps sums this up best is uh, is with three, which is the UK one of the UK mobile operators. It's part of Hutchinson, uh, based in Hong Kong, one of the biggest world's biggest firms. And three is the challenger brand in the UK, uh, and they started off with a real sense of purpose uh, back in two thousand in 2000 as the challenger brand to change the rules and they lost they lost sight of that during the noughties and became a much more price-driven competitor um, and in the last few years though they have gone back to uh, their roots they've gone back to their purpose they have um they, they, they summarize it as make it right you know let's make it right on behalf of the consumer let's change the rules in in uh, in mobile um, and let's do things. Let's provide evidence to the fact, to the fact that we're ch shaking this industry up in the interests of the consumer. Um, and so they've, they have they've they've simplified. They've been bold. They've experimented, and they've 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 
got rid of any sense of blame. You know, if somebody makes a mistake, let's learn from it, but but let's move on and apply that learning. And they've worked really hard at getting more connectivity across the organization in terms of collaboration across different functions, apart across different teams, um, and changed the, the sort of the incentive structure so that they've devolved more decision making and and the and the bonuses that go with that. So they have really moved the whole organization to to epitomize what I would call uh, connected leadership in the interests of being the best love brand. Uh, and they're well on the way. They were they uh, in the UK regulator used to say that a few years ago that they were the most complained about network. Well, they're, they're now the least complained about network and they have they win awards for their their network and for their service experience, customer experience. So they're 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 really transformed themselves uh, because they're now one organization that's really connected about around a strong purpose and clear values. And and uh, and it's a fun place to work because everybody's really energized by that by that sense of mission. Where can people find out more about your theory behind the book? Are you blogging regularly? Um, and uh, how can people connect with you and find out more? Uh, yeah, so I've got a, a personal blog, uh, which uh, is www.simon-hayward.com, uh, where I do a, a regular blog on, on things related to connected leadership, but some of them are from films, some of them are politics, so you know, different different takes on the whole uh, connected leadership uh, ethos. Um, and then on the Cirrus website, which is cirrus-connect.com, uh, there's more more business-oriented stuff. There's uh, you know, videos and content about uh, client organizations or organizations that are doing some exciting things in, in becoming more connected. So those are two sources, one perhaps a little bit more personal, one, one more business related, which might be, a, might be of interest. Okay. And then before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, what's the best way to approach the book? Is it a, a book you should read cover to cover, or can you just jump into a particular section you think um, is relevant to you, like uh, Chapter 9, Creating an Agile Organization? Oh, well, obviously, I'd love everybody to read the book uh, in its entirety and put a review on Amazon, if you will. Um, but uh, in practice, we t- I tried to write it uh, in a way that was really uh, practical. So it's it's written in short chapters. There are checklists to to help you think about how and apply the thinking to your own organization. There are case studies that help bring it to life in terms of what other organizations have done and their experiences. Um, and and. There are some questions at the end of each chapter just to help you reflect and think about how does this apply. So we're trying to make it really practical. Uh, it's written in a very simple uh, voice uh, that is not, is not, it draws on all the theory, but it's not theoretical. It's meant to be a practical guide. And so a lot of our clients just say, well, we just dipped into this bit here and we started to use that. Or, or we really like the, the, the chapter on taking people with you and we started to use some of that thinking because that applied to our situation. So that's, I love that when, when they're using parts of it in a way that is relevant to them at the time. Yeah, you know, for me, once you get the theory of the book, um, it it almost becomes more powerful and agile as as a device that you know just have it on your desk and you 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 run into a situation. So hang on, I think I saw a chapter on that one, and just skim through the chapters and go, oh, okay, now I know what to do. I think it's yeah, it's invaluable great. that way. Yeah, no, that's super. That's good to hear, Bob. Um, uh, that's exactly how we want it to be used. I've been chatting with Simon Hayward. His book, Connected Leadership, How to Build a More Agile, Customer-Driven Business. Great book and uh, coming out of the UK classic because they don't mess around with content. Uh, If you compare a 
book out of the UK to a book out of the United States. Way more viscous in the sense that uh, you've got way more information here. It, it's as light as he says it is. Uh, there is a lot of more information in this book compared to, uh, I would say, a North American counterpart. So uh, if you want to really dig down and understand what's going on with uh, you know, new leadership paradigms and, and, and how to basically deal with this disruptive environment that we're all in, this basically may become your Bible. Simon, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Bob. Good to speak. Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash business book talk. Follow the host on Twitter at Bob Garlic. Visit the website businessbooktalk.com for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week.